Welcome to the WNCT Podcast Network. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It is a crisis that strikes at the very heart and soul and spirit of our national will. People have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning into this episode of What the Politics. Today, we're joined by Dr. Irving Joyner, who works as a professor at North Carolina Central University School of Law. We decided to have him on because of his experience with the civil rights movement, and we're going to explore some of the issues that have happened over the years and compare the civil rights movement since its inception, really. So I'm going to go ahead and let our guest introduce himself. I'm Irving Joyner. I'm a professor at uh, North Carolina Central University uh, School of Law. And what got you interested in um, pursuing law? Uh, My involvement in uh, the civil rights movement, uh, the uh, specific uh, activities that I had been involved in for uh, a number of years Mm -hmm. have uh, typically resulted in the uh, need to have uh, legal uh, representation or at least legal advice. Mm-hmm. And uh, I recognize the uh, importance of uh, being able to have a voice in uh, in court and the legitimacy that uh, being a lawyer provided to the opinions and activities in which you were uh, involved. And uh, I then decided that it was uh, incumbent upon me if I was to be effective in civil rights to to go to law school. Mm-hmm. So and that's what I did. <laughs> let's let's talk about civil rights because I feel like a lot of people when we when we discuss civil rights, there's a variety of definitions and what you know what people may may assume about what it is. What is what? How would you define civil rights? And would you give us an example, of maybe from your own experience of of a civil rights activity that you participated in? Well, uh, I guess broadly stated, uh, it uh, involves uh, efforts to uh, secure uh, constitutional uh, and statutory protections that are uh, provided to uh, individuals uh, within this uh, country when confronted by uh, by structures of uh, of power, uh, whether that is the uh, state. Uh, government or whether it is uh, individuals or corporate entities that seek to uh, dominate or uh, erode uh, rights that uh, people have under the uh, laws that uh, exist or should exist uh, within uh, within our society. Mm-hmm. And do you have um, a specific example from your own practice where uh, you can share with the audience about your experience um, with civil rights and um, kind of give like a like a personal boots on the ground take on on what what's been happening within recent years in your own experience. Well, I, I guess the most prominent uh, now in the minds of many people would be uh, police authority. Uh, what kind of uh, uh, situations uh, exist where Police officers can control uh, the uh, movement of uh, individuals, uh, what uh, officers can do 
to uh, curtail or interfere with uh, the individual's exercise of uh, their rights or their desires, uh, resulting uh, in many instances in uh, police misconduct. Uh, so I have been, been engaged over the years in uh, many cases uh, where there have been claims of uh, uh, police misconduct, where police officers have abused their power uh, and asserted uh, the uh, use of uh, force, uh, lethal force or physical force over an individual that uh, is uh, in contradiction to what the law allows them to use in a particular situation. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to play a little bit of a, of a devil's advocate here, but there are a lot of people that say, oh, not all police officers are like this. Um, what is usually your response to that sort of um, when people talk about not all police officers? Oh, I agree. Uh, some of my best friends are, are police officers. I've worked with uh, police officers uh, over the uh, past uh, 50 years uh, dealing uh, with issues uh, involving their rights uh, and uh, the individual's efforts to uh, join and be a part of uh, police forces uh, around the uh, the country. So I certainly agree with uh, that uh, statement. So uh, to promote uh, civil rights and to challenge uh, the uh, abuse of police authority is not to paint with a broad brush uh, any uh, police officer. It is to look at the particular situation uh, that exists and the conduct that the uh, that individual is involved in and how that has impacted uh, the uh, lawful rights of the uh, person who is victimized in that situation. Sure. And, and addressing police brutality and misconduct, you know, um, the Derek Chauvin case began yesterday. The police officer who was seen, um, you know, in the video pressing his knee into George Floyd's neck. Now, do you think that these court cases um, are a step in the right direction to address, the, to acknowledge the fact that this is happening, to address it, to um, take, action. take action against it? Do you think this is a, a step in the right direction? That, that It is exactly that reason that I chose to become a lawyer, mm. uh, so that I can uh, take uh, claims of uh, police misconduct and place them in an appropriate forum uh, where the, uh, the uh, victim will have their voice or their day in court to uh, uh, bring some resolution to the claim that they've made against a police officer and that that is an impartial uh, venue uh, which uh, allows uh, at best a judge or a jury uh, to make a determination based on what the law is, whether the uh, officer's conduct has violated uh, what the uh, law mandates in that particular situation. So, so yeah, I, I, I certainly believe that this is the appropriate forum uh, for these issues to uh, to be addressed and resolved. And uh, otherwise, you would have uh, anarchy uh, or uh, mob uh, violence, mob justice, uh, which is not what is uh, appropriate in this situation, but some uh, impartial, uh, unbiased forum uh, where all of the facts can be uh, presented and then there, there is some uh, uh, neutral adjudication of uh, what 
the uh, operative facts are and how the law applies in that situation. So what is happening in uh, Minnesota is, uh, is, is, is the appropriate way to deal with this particular uh, effort, even though it comes after the fact and after there have been a killing and all of the other events that have uh, uh, resulted as, uh, from that, but that the court is the appropriate venue. Uh, for these cases to be uh, uh, to be addressed. Do you, in your own experience, do you find that um, even even in this impartial arena, that either with the jury or with the judge, that there is some sort of conflict with that impartiality? Like, or do you really see a jury appears? Do you see any sort of bias already um, present in the courtroom before the before the case even starts? There can be, uh, there, there, can, there can be bias, uh, and, and that is one of the reasons that there is a procedure uh, that's uh, involved where a person uh, who is a litigant on one side of the other has the opportunity to test the uh, fact finder uh, to make a determination of the possible existence of, uh, of bias and then to have that person uh, removed or excused if there is uh, bias, you know, uh, the court is not perfect. Uh, it is an engine uh, in which we seek uh, the best determination from a uh, unbiased set of uh, eyes or fact finders to look at the uh, evidence and make a determination about the uh, viability of the claim and the credibility of those persons who are providing uh, information. So the jury doesn't always come out with the uh, right uh, decision. They just come out with the uh, decision that is best uh, given the facts that are presented to them at, uh, at that point. Uh, but it's not going to always be right. Uh, it is the best engine that is uh, present uh, for us to uh, adjudicate uh, these claims and one that uh, we have to have faith in as long as the appropriate legal rules are followed and adhered to by the court. And that's why you have lawyers on both sides uh, to protect the rights of each litigant uh, that's uh, involved in the process. Mm -hmm. And then kind of going into, um, you made a point earlier about having these trials so that they won't result in mob violence. Um, in kind of paying devil's advocate again, what would you, a lot of people said that the protests that happened over the summer were mobs and that there were violent incidents happening. Do you have a response to, to anyone who might say oh, what we saw over the summer was kind of a uh, riots and saying that this is a mob mentality. What is your response to, to uh, people who might have that claim? Well, I, I think that you have to, uh, to, to investigate exactly what uh, happened mm -hmm. in, those, uh, in those situations. People have a right to demonstrate. Uh, people have a right to protest. And they have a right to protest individually or in groups. And the uh, mere fact that you have a group uh, demonstration is not an instance of mob violence. It's an in instance where a, a group of people have uh, come together to uh, express their displeasure or support of a uh, particular issue or occurrence that uh, has, uh, has uh, happened that they are uh, aware of. 
and there are instances where uh, demonstrations do get out of line for many reasons. Uh, sometimes they are provoked. Uh, uh, there are instances where uh, uh, conflict has been provoked by the police, uh, instances where uh, conflict has been uh, uh, provoked by the marchers, other times where conflict has been uh, provoked by people who are seeking to uh, take advantage or to abuse uh, the uh, demonstration that people are engaged in. Uh, my experience is that when people engage in uh, protests, typically they are seeking to be peaceful and that the organizers of these uh, demonstrations do everything in their power to ensure uh, that those uh, uh, protests are, uh, are peaceful. And I think that you will see the vast majority of demonstrations are, in fact, uh, peaceful. Uh, where there are uh, efforts to disrupt uh, that, uh, you need to figure out what was the cause of that. Is this a situation where uh, there was uh, un, uh, uh, there was instigation mm -hmm. uh, organized by someone who was in opposition to the demonstration with the view toward creating a riotous-like uh, situation? Mm -hmm. But people typically don't organize a riot. Uh, people typically don't uh, uh, prepare a demonstration under the guise of, uh, of, of it resulting in uh, what we call mob violence. Mob violence typically is, uh, is spurred on, on the moment or organized for the perp that particular purpose, but not demonstrations and protests. Uh, where people are seeking to uh, vindicate uh, their uh, their rights and to voice their opposition or support of a particular issue that uh, that's being confronted by that uh, by that group. Mm -hmm. So, short of short, of, yes, there are instances where violence has occurred, uh, but you can't just look at that if you are being critical. You have to look behind it to determine what was the cause of that violence and was that an integral part of the plan of those individuals who uh, organized that demonstration. Mm -hmm. Sure. So in your opinion, what do you think is one of the most important aspects or the most important aspect of opening up that dialogue that space for people to have this conversation and learn about the civil rights um, movement and why it's important and how we can help each other would you say it's accountability is the most important thing just having an open dialogue is important or are these demonstrations super important for people to really get their point across their passion across well uh i think all of the above uh, I think it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it's uh, important that uh, people know uh, that uh, when the regular organs of, uh, of decision making uh, is uh, not uh, clearly open uh, to them, that there is an opportunity for them to voice their displeasure uh, of that uh, action in the uh, public. Uh, also uh, to voice their support of that action uh, in, uh, in public, because every protest isn't anti-something. Uh, Many mm -hmm. protests are pro 
something, a mm-hmm. uh, pro and issue. So, you know, so it's important, you know, that, uh, that, that, that people know that. It's also important uh, that uh, where there is wrongdoing by, uh, by officials who are elected or appointed or employed uh, to exercise dominion uh, over uh, other people, that where they uh, uh, run afoul of the law, that there is accountability for that uh, that conduct because people who are harmed uh, have a legal right uh, to have uh, redress and to achieve and 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 and, and have justice in their uh, particular case. Uh, in addition, I think these uh, demonstrations, as a purpose, uh, is to educate the public. Uh, people need to know. You know what these issues are, that there are people who are supporting this side and the reason why, and that there are other people who are opposing that and the reasons why, so that those people who are not involved can understand the issue and make a reasoned judgment on uh, which side of the uh, coin that they fall on or uh, whether they give a damn. Mm-hmm. Uh, about it, uh, quite frankly. Uh, so that that is uh, is important that you know that people be uh, educated and they know uh, what is uh, the issues of the day that's being promoted by uh, by individuals. So all of those reasons I think are important. One may stand out over another, given what the uh, issue uh, is that is being that's at the forefront of the uh, demonstration that the people are involved in. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of part of that you mentioned earlier is, is education. And you said that um, a lot of um, today's issues have roots going back years. And so something that I read in your bio is that you served on the Wilmington Race Riot Commission. Can you explain what that was and how you served in that capacity? So I, I was the co-chair of that uh, legislative uh, committee. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, uh, commission was uh, uh, created by the North Carolina General Assembly to look into the uh, history of the 1898 uh, coup d'etat that occurred in Wilmington, where a uh, multiracial, uh, legally elected uh, city government was uh, overthrown. Uh, through uh, the use of uh, military might uh, wielded by uh, members of the uh, Democratic Party and uh, segregationists in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, And uh, the elected officials were forced to uh, be removed from their positions, and a new uh, city government was installed in uh, in its place. So the uh, Wilmington 1898 uh, uh, Race Riot uh, Commission was designed to examine the uh, causes uh, of that, uh, what occurred uh, during the uh, uh, infamous uh, uh, activities that uh, were created uh, by the uh, effort to overthrow uh, that uh, city uh, government and then what the uh, impacts of that was on uh, the uh, uh, political functioning and uh, growth of democracy uh, in North Carolina. And I was asked to be the co-chair of that uh, commission, and uh, we spent uh, five years in an exhaustive study 
of uh, that uh, event and uh, issued a report and recommendations to the uh, General Assembly uh, for them to uh, take actions on. Mm-hmm. Can you share um, a little bit from your report that you can see influence outcomes today from 1898? 1898, the Wilmington Race Riot probably focused mainly on taking away the uh, power of uh, African Americans uh, to uh, to vote mm-hmm. and engage in the uh, political process uh, in uh, in North Carolina. Uh, its aim was to uh, t- take away the uh, uh, rights of African Americans to register and uh, to vote to uh, run for uh, office uh, within the uh, state of uh, of North Carolina, and it was engineered by uh, members of the uh, the leadership, really, of the uh, Democratic Party uh, at uh, the time. And it was directed toward uh, those African-Americans who were voting, those who were voted for, and uh, other whites who were elected as a result of the uh, votes of the uh, uh, those uh, uh, interests at, uh, at that particular uh, point. And uh, that effort toward disenfranchising uh, African Americans and uh, and their supporters is uh, is continuing today uh, because we have ongoing battles here in the state uh, right now as to who can register to vote and then who can vote uh, in uh, the uh, elections and how they can vote and restraints that's uh, directed to the uh, exercise of that uh, of that right. So I can see a clear line between what occurred in uh, 1898, uh, which uh, resulted from the so-called Reconstruction uh, era and the end of uh, Reconstruction in North Carolina, and what is happening today in uh, in North Carolina with respect uh, to the what we talk, talk about as the second uh, Reconstruction that has occurred where uh, African-Americans and people of color have been more actively engaged in the political process in the, in, in the state. And um, going into civil rights education, um, have there been any experiences where you've had difficult, tense conversations where you really feel passions um, kind of fueled? I would say probably at least a thousand or more. Oh wow! Uh, I've had over uh, the years. For some reason, uh, when you talk about uh, civil rights, uh, it is a passionate discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 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 it evolves uh, that way. Whether you are speaking to audiences that are opposed, or even audiences that are in support because it engenders a lot of uh, feelings and, and, and emotions, and people are very expressive uh, when they get into that uh, topic. But I, I talk about civil rights issues uh, every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have classes in it uh, at uh, North Carolina Central uh, Law School. I teach a course in race and the law. I teach another course in uh, civil rights. And uh, oftentimes those 
discussions will engender a lot of passion and uh, emotions. I speak about this issue on a regular basis in churches and community centers and seminars, uh, CLE programs, and oftentimes, you know, emotions are engendered uh, as a result of that. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it is critical that people understand what their rights are. Because if you don't know what your rights are, then you're not in a position to protect uh, those rights. You're not in a position to understand what it is that you need to do to uh, ensure that those protections continue and that people are not placed in positions that they can abuse the rights that you have. All people have uh, constitutional rights and civil rights and civil rights uh, protections. And so a part of the educational process is to help people understand what those rights are. With respect to those people who are in power, it's also important that they understand what they, their, those rights are uh, in order to prevent them from overstepping their roles, their boundaries, those legal boundaries that are established for them so that the organs of government does not intrude upon the rights of people. Because the government, at, at, at its best, ought to be in a position that it protects the rights of all citizens. And in, involved in that, obviously, is oftentimes conflict between citizens in terms of their exercise of those rights. And there has to be some forum and some methodology that is present to ensure that every person's rights are protected and that no person uh, is more important than the other. And that's what our Equal Protection Clause speaks to uh, within the uh, federal Constitution and within the uh, North Carolina Constitution, that every person is uh, have uh, equal rights and the same rights and the ability to, ex to exercise uh, those rights and to be uh, protected by our uh, organs of government. Definitely. Have you found that sharing your own personal experiences that you've experienced with civil rights issues, do you find that that helps you have these conversations with students or other people to open them up to that other side of things, open them up to your personal experiences? Yes, uh, I think that's very valuable. I mean, I can speak to what I know and what I've experienced and what I've done and the impact of the things that uh, that I've been engaged in over the years and then reference that back, reference that those experiences back to what the law is and what the protections are that uh, people have. So they uh, clearly are ways to uh, illustrate and uh, uh, give concrete example uh, to the uh, particular uh, constitutional protections that uh, that's the focus of the discussion. Definitely. Well, I think that's all the questions that we had for you today. Um, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. We really appreciate it and all of your insight. Thank you for this opportunity. All right, everyone, that's going to wrap up this episode of What the Politics. We release new episodes every Tuesday. You can find those at WNCT.com under the Features tab on the WNCT Podcast Network. You can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. <laughs>